to give his own life so that he could give us eternal life. Lord, as we meditate on all that that means for us this morning, encourage us, draw us near to you. Remind us uh, of what you have done and what that means for us. And Lord, may it result in worship this morning, that our hearts would lift you up and exalt you and follow you so that the world might know of the hope that we have, that Jesus might be glorified. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Would you please remain standing for the reading of God's word? Our passage this morning is from Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through chapter 4, verse 1. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Susie. Good morning. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Grace. Specifically, I'm the staff pastor at our downtown congregation that meets on Sunday nights in downtown Iowa City. We are so glad that you're worshiping with us this morning, uh, particularly if it's your first time with us or if you're new here. We are so glad to have you. And please make sure to meet someone that's sitting around you or at the info table in the lobby or someone with a, a green lanyard. They would love to meet you and get you connected here at Grace. As you just heard Susie read, we are continuing in our series for the spring where we are going through the book of Philippians, looking at where our true identity comes from. As we open the scripture, we hear talk, Paul talk about the goal that he has for his life. So I'd like us to start with the question, what is the goal of your life? What is the goal of your life? What are you aiming for with your life? This seems like a a uh, big existential question or a big philosophical question, maybe a little heavy for a Sunday morning. But really what I'm asking is, what is your life show you are after? What do the actions that you take, the things you make sacrifices for, your time, talent, treasure, what are they aiming towards? They show us what our true goal is. And not only that, but when we look at those things, when we look at how we're striving, we can see what we actually believe, not just what we say that we believe. And isn't it true that the actions that we take, the steps that we take, those things really become our goal? And I'm not talking about some kind of new agey manifestation, name it, claim it kind of thing. Um, because at the end of the day, no matter how hard I try to be an Olympic gymnast, it's just not going to happen for me. 
I've been six foot three since 10th grade and I've never done a pull up. So it, it's just not happening for me. I could work so hard, visualize it, quit my job, leave my family, work hard to become an Olympic gymnast, and it's not going to happen. So that's not what we're talking about here this morning. But the fact of the matter is that if you set your goal to be healthy, you will start making changes to become a more healthy person, and you will be a more healthy person. You can apply that to anything in life. Anything you're setting out to do, it starts changing your behaviors You start striving after new things and you accomplish that which you are aimed at. This morning, as we ask the question, what is the goal of our life? Paul is going to answer that for us. So what is the goal of following Christ? Paul is going to answer it to show us what his goal is. He is going to answer what is the goal of the church, the church in Philippi, as well as the church of Jesus Christ that we are here today. Ultimately, we'll see what Jesus's goal was. And in it, we will find a goal worth living for ourselves. Would you pray with me to that end? Father, we thank you for speaking through your word, spirit, and people. We confess that we desperately need to hear from you today. Father, our lives are aimed in all different directions. We are using our time in many different ways. Father, we want you to be our one goal, our one aim. And I pray that our lives would reflect that pray that you would show us today why you are worthy of being the goal of our life, Jesus. And Spirit, we pray that you would say to each one here what you want to say. I know some in this room, but I do not know all. Heavenly Father, you know all, and you have something to say to each of us this morning. And we pray that we would have ears that are ready to hear, minds to understand, hearts to believe, and hands and feet ready to obey you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Open with me to Philippians 3. If you have not already, we will start in verse 12. We'll take a look at what the scripture says, and then we'll make some application for our everyday lives. Verse 12, Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So the first thing that we need to do, you can see underlined there on the screen, is figure out what the this is because Paul is saying, I haven't obtained this. If we look back at verses 7 through 11 of Philippians chapter 3, we see what the this is. Paul lays out for us that he has an aim for his life, that he considers everything else as rubbish, not even a loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord, and then walking in Christ's resurrection power. That's what Paul says, my life is all about. Then he starts this by saying, not that I have already obtained this. Paul is talking about the upward call on his life, as this passage says. He's talking about the kind of life he knows he should be living as a citizen of heaven. But he starts here by saying, I'm not there yet. Before we go any further, let's take joy and praise God in this grace that the Apostle Paul is confessing, the Apostle among apostles, the greatest church planter and missionary that's ever lived, the guy who wrote half the New Testament is saying, I know what I should be and I'm not there yet. Let's take joy in that grace. Do you feel like you know what you're supposed to do? You know what you're supposed to obtain? You know where you're supposed to be and you're not there yet? Well, you're in good company. You're in good company and the guy that wrote this letter You're in good company with the people sitting around you, and you're in good company with this pastor. We have not obtained it yet. But Paul takes heart, and he strives after 
the upward call of Christ in his life. He strives after the things that he knows he is called to. He strives after a life that looks like he is a citizen of heaven. And why is that? He answers it here. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul says, Christ has made me his, so I'm going to act in accordance with me being in Christ. If we go back up to Philippians 3, verse 9, Paul wrote, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is rejoicing not in his righteousness, in his ability to follow the law. He is rejoicing in, he is taking joy in the fact that Christ's righteousness has been credited to him. So when God looks at him, when the perfect heavenly father looks at Paul and all other citizens of heaven, he sees Christ and Christ's righteous perfection. He says, I can't obtain Christ. Christ has obtained me. He is the one holding on to me. And that is why Paul is striving after a life that reflects that he belongs to Jesus. He continues on in verse 13 with a similar theme. Verse 13, brothers and sisters in the original Greek, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here, he restates the same thing with a little bit more reflection, a little bit more detail. He says that my goal, the goal in my life, is the upward call of God that is found in Christ Jesus. It's the Heavenly Father's call on my life, but the ultimate realization of that, the ultimate righteousness comes from me being in Christ Jesus. And here he says, I'm straining forward and I'm forgetting what lies behind because I have an upward call on my life. This upward call means many different things. As usual, Paul is a skilled writer and a skilled uh, user of language here. And he is saying many things are that upward call. They are the upward call to heavenly things. We learn that in the context we're about to talk about what it looks like to have our mindset on earthly things. So an upward call is set on heavenly things. It's the upward call of the kingdom come. It's the upward call of the new heavens and the new earth that will be someday. It's an upward call towards the righteousness that is found in Christ alone. And because of that, he's forgetting what lies behind. So what lies behind Paul? What are some things that are in his past? Well, we read in the book of Acts and we read from Paul's own testimony that Paul started out as a persecutor of Christians, of Jesus followers. He persecuted them. He oversaw their execution and their stoning and their imprisonment and their beating. He sanctioned it. He called for it. He demanded it. Paul persecuted the people of God. Paul persecuted and killed those that followed Jesus and therefore he was persecuting Christ himself. But now he is found in Christ. Now he has an upward call on his life. Now his eyes are not fixed on the things of the earth, but are on the upward call of Christ. So he can forget what lies behind. Would you like to forget some things that are behind you? If you come in here this morning and you have some things that you'd like to forget, whether it was a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, or 10 minutes ago, 
you're in good company with the guy who wrote this letter and the people sitting around you and this pastor. Paul says, I'm not focused on those things. I'm focused on the upward call, the call on my life that the Father has placed that I can be found in Christ. Paul is saying here, there's an upward call on my life. And so I am going to, this is what he just talked about last week in our sermon. I'm going to view the things of this earth, the things I can see with my eyes, rubbish compared to the upward call of Christ. Part of that upward call is realizing that everything we see with our eyes isn't all there is. Everything that we see with our eyes is not all there is. There's more to the reality of who God is and the world that he has made. There is galaxies that mankind will never explore. There is the spiritual realm. There is the heavenly realm. There is Jesus seated on a throne right now at the right hand of the Father. All of that is real, even if we can't see it with our eyes. So Paul says, I am going to forget what's behind and I'm going to strain forward. I am going to orient my life. I am going to make decisions based on the upward call of Christ in my life. So how is he going to do it? How does he call us to do it? Look with me at verses 15 through 17. There's two parts. He's getting very practical here. Let those of you who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul is saying a couple of different things here, and we'll take them one at a time and then see how they're connected. First, he says, I am saying these things to you, and this should be your highest goal, the upward call of Christ. But what that looks like in everyday life might look different might look different than you think, might look different than the person who discipled you, or might look different for you than it has for me, for two reasons. Paul is allowing here for his own error. He is saying here, I may not have it all together. Remember, I have not obtained everything that I know I need to obtain. I have not obtained a life that's just all about Jesus. And so he's saying, the Spirit may show you more than I'm showing you here. But he is also saying that the most important thing, the priority of your life, the one goal that you're after is the upward call of Christ, even if it looks different in your everyday life. Then he gets very practical and he tells them in verse 17, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul here is describing discipleship. If you have been around the church for a week or 80 years, the term discipleship brings a lot of things to your mind. There's a lot of things we think of when we hear the word discipleship. If I listed all of them off, I would take the last 22 minutes and 14 seconds that I have for the sermon, listing off all the things that we picture when we think of discipleship. But a few. When we think of discipleship, we often think of a class, We often think of a set of theological things that we agree to. We think of Bible study. We think of one-on-one Bible study. We think of doing soul care, using God's word to help someone else. We may think of a role at a church like a discipleship pastor. Paul here is describing for us what discipleship looks like without using the word. And we can see in context that he is telling us this could look a number of different ways in the church, but it needs to be happening. 
There's a very vivid example, if you'd like to turn there quickly to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We see very vividly what was taking place in the church as the gospel spread, as the spirit fell, as people imitated those who were following Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. Paul lays out this, this discipleship, it's taking place. People are imitating us as we imitate Christ, and they are becoming disciples, and others are seeing their life and imitating them and becoming disciples. And disciples make disciples who make disciples. It's why the gospel spread from Jesus' disciples and followers to you and to me. That's why we're talking about Jesus today. The fact of the resurrection, his substitutionary atonement, his perfect life, his ascension, his soon return. It's something that disciples can't stop talking about. And so that's why we sit here today. He is saying that the upward call of Christ causes us to imitate those who are imitating Christ. This is discipleship. We'll talk about what that looks like in our everyday lives when we get to the application. Verse 18, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. This is the counterexample. This is what it looks like when the upward call of Christ isn't your main goal. This is the opposite of what Paul describes in verses 7 through 11. This is valuing the things of this earth over Christ. This is valuing and even beginning to worship the creation instead of the creator, to use Paul's words from Romans 1. He is showing us what it looks like when our eyes are fixed on the things of the earth. When we are striving after the things that we can only see with our eyes. And he gives us a very vivid example here of those that their God is their belly. Why does he use this example? Their God is their belly. Three reasons. One, he is being consistent with his own writing and all the writers in the New Testament who list gluttony as one of the deadly sins and as one of the big sins that is listed with all kinds of heinous other things. Paul and the other New Testament writers saw gluttony as dangerous that could lead you on a path of destruction. So here he's being consistent. The second thing is he wants to give us a vivid everyday example so that we can connect with what he's trying to say. He's saying, here's what it looks like. It's not just rampant sexual immorality that we see in our culture. It's not just certain kinds of sin, big ticket items. It's looking after and striving after and worshiping the things of this world. The third reason he uses this example is he wants to show us a very important principle for us to learn, not just today, but as a disciple. What we really believe comes out in our actions. He is showing us that we can say that we have an upward call in our life. We can say that we are found in Christ's righteousness alone. We can say that our goal is to glorify God and make disciples, but our everyday actions will show what our true goal is and who our true God is as well. And he says that these people are enemies of the cross of Christ, enemies 
of the cross of Christ. They're focused on earthly things. Their minds are set on earthly things. They don't just get distracted by earthly things. Their minds are actually set on the things of this earth. We have examples of this in scripture. We have examples of this in the church today of folks that play the game, say all the right words, say the right things, but in the end, their God is their belly and they've become enemies of the cross of Christ. We see this in scripture in the Pharisees. We see this in Judas, one of Jesus' disciples. We see this in the Judaizers that seem to have infiltrated the church who say that Gentiles need to be circumcised to start following Jesus. We see folks throughout time who say, yes, Jesus, the upward call of Christ is most important to me, but their God is their belly. Their eyes are fixed on the things of this earth. Verse 20, but, but conversely, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. But our citizenship is in heaven. Those who are found in Christ, those who claim his righteousness as their own, those that know that they cannot follow the law of God so they need someone else's righteousness credited to them are citizens of heaven. There is an upward call on their life. They're not just playing the game. They're a true citizen of heaven. And how do you become a citizen of heaven? By being found in Christ this upward call on your life. Paul here is banking on the fact that at the end of the day, he he is going to be found in the righteousness of Christ. And that one day, when the kingdom comes, he will be in a glorified state and everything he does will be under the control of Christ. Everything he does will honor Christ someday. He is banking on that future reality and that current power to walk in the righteousness of of Christ. And who is it that makes us a citizen of heaven? We can't make ourselves a citizen of heaven because only those who are righteous can be citizens of heaven. And you and I cannot be righteous in and of ourselves. We can do individual righteous acts, but we cannot be righteous and we cannot do more good than bad in order to earn our way into citizenship of heaven. How are we made citizens of heaven? by the work of Christ. And does Christ have the power? It says right here, by the power that enables him, Christ, even to subject all things to himself. The author of Hebrews in chapter two, verse eight, says that the father has put everything in subjection under Christ's feet. Now in putting everything under Christ's feet, he left nothing outside of Christ's control. The father has granted all things to be under the feet of Christ. Christ is in control of all things. And Colossians tells us that all things were made by him, through him, and for him. And he is the one that has bought your citizenship. It's in his good name. It's in his power that your salvation is secure. He has obtained you. And Paul says, I'm going to strive forward towards the upward call of Christ in my life because Christ has made me his own. 
At the end of the service, we are going to take communion together, remembering what Christ has done for us. It's not our body and our blood. It's Christ's body and Christ's blood. He has obtained us by the breaking of his body, the spilling of his blood, by his bodily death. But then he rose from the grave showing that he was God, showing that there is a kingdom come, showing that one day we can be with him in our glorified state. During communion, we're going to sing a song that has the line, the king of kings calls me his own. The king of all kings, the one who everything is under his feet, calls us his own. Chapter four, verse one, therefore, because of all this, because Christ is the one holding on to us, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. You can stand firm. No matter what's going on, no matter what the circumstances of your life or this world are, we can stand firm in who Christ says we are. We all come in here this morning with different stories and different things that make it hard for us to stand firm that make it hard for us to remember there's an upward call on our life, that make, us hard, make it hard for us to forget what lies behind in our past. Paul is saying here that without condition, you can stand firm. It's not the good, it's not the righteous, it's not the ones that grew up in a Christian home, it's not the ones that are theologically astute, it's those who are in Christ that can stand firm. Do you really believe this? that you can stand firm because Christ has made you his own? Or are you still waiting for your own righteousness to kick in so you can earn the love of God? Friends, you will never earn it. None of us ever will. If Paul couldn't earn it, you don't have a chance. I don't have a chance. Only Christ is righteous and we can be found in him and we can stand firm. So what do we need to do in light of this text? First, we need to be found in him. Are you a citizen of heaven this morning? That's the question that you need to answer probably before you leave this room. Are you a citizen of heaven? Not are you good enough, not are you righteous, not have you done bad things, not do you understand all of it, but are you a citizen of heaven? Because here's the thing, often those in the kingdom do not have the confidence to stand firm that they should, and often those not in the kingdom have confidence in what they should not. So first, to citizens of heaven, if you are a citizen of heaven, you can stand firm. You are found in him. When things are difficult, you can be found in him. When trauma from your past comes rising to the surface, you can be found in him. When you fall back into sinful patterns and even addictions that are a part of your past, you can be found in him. No matter what is behind you, you can forget it and be found in him like Paul did. Now to those that are not citizens of heaven, are not sure if they're citizens of heaven. There is absolutely nothing you can do to be found a citizen of heaven in and of yourself. And there is nothing for you to take confidence in because there's nothing we can do 
to be found in Christ apart from his righteousness credited to us. Are you a citizen of heaven? You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It can only be freely given by Christ's finished work for you. I've been to many countries. I've been fortunate enough to go on a lot of short-term missions trip. I've been to Jamaica and Mexico and Italy and Asia, and I've bought souvenirs. I've learned part of the language. I've learned more about the culture, but I'm not citizens of those places. I have no rights in those countries. Being a citizen of heaven doesn't mean visiting church. It doesn't mean saying we love Jesus. It doesn't mean once in a while doing the right thing. It doesn't mean jumping through the hoops, going to the right classes, going to the right church, trying to do more good than bad. No, there's only one way you can be called a citizen of heaven today, and that's by giving up and being found in Christ alone for your righteousness, for your salvation. So first, be found in him. And if you are found in him, strive after the things of the kingdom. Strive after the things of the kingdom. So often we think that striving and effort and working hard is somehow opposed to grace. No, we've got it all wrong. Paul puts it plainly here because Christ has made me his own. I strive after the things of Christ. If he owns me, if he has obtained me, I want to honor him and grow more up into my citizenship, which is in heaven. What are you striving after? Not what is your stated goal with your lips, not who you think you are, but what is the real goal of your life? What are you striving after? How are you spending your time? We are really good at striving after things, actually. We get really good at a lot of things like Wordly and social media and our jobs and our education. We get good at sports. We get good at so many things. We are striving after something. But often our God is our belly and the things of this earth are motivating our actions. And it's not the upward call of Christ and his righteousness credited to us. What is the priority of your life? What is the priority? What do your actions, the things you sacrifice for, the things you spend your time doing, what do they say about what your true goal is? What needs to change in your life practically because of the upward call of Christ on your life? If your citizen citizenship is already in heaven, you're going to act like a citizen of the kingdom. So what does the kingdom of God look like and how do we act accordingly? That's what it means to be a disciple. And that's the last point. Be and make disciples. Our mission here at Grace is that we exist to glorify God by being and making disciples who make disciples. So first, the goal. What's the goal? Glorify. Glorify God. Glorify Christ. Proclaim that everything is under Christ's feet. Proclaim that there's a heavenly father who is good and glorious and holy and perfect and worshiping him with our life, glorifying him, the upward call of Christ. That's the goal of our life. So how do we do it? How do we strive? How do we press on? By being and making disciples. So first, being a disciple. A disciple is a student of Jesus. If you are a student of, of a subject or if you are a student that is learning from a professor 
or someone overseeing your education or someone training you to do a sport or play an instrument, you study what that person is telling you to do. You emulate them as they do it better than you. A disciple is a student of Jesus. When you look at your life, when you look at your budget, when you look at your schedule, when you look at how you use your time and your energy, could I look at your life and say, that person's a student of Jesus? That's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is a student of Jesus all the time. It's an upward call in your life every moment of every day. So first, we are a student of Jesus, and then we teach others. I needed folks to teach me some things when I moved here to Iowa 15 years ago. I needed people to show me the ropes of what it's like to be an Iowan. I was from Kansas City. I knew a few things about Iowa. Uh, I knew there was corn, and I knew the difference between a cyclone and a Hawkeye. That's important. And I had, I'd seen Field of Dreams. I thought, I'm good to go, right? So I moved to Iowa, and I moved to the Iowa City area, And there was one thing that baffled me that I needed other people to help me with, and that's wrestling. Wrestling, the sport. My context context for wrestling was Hulk Hogan and chairs bashing over people's heads. I had no idea what wrestling is. And then I move here, and it's like a big deal. And then I start going to Grace Community Church, where the pastor knows something about wrestling. Then one day, in my first few weeks here, I turn on the radio, and there's wrestling on the radio. (laughs) Where am I? What is happening here? You wouldn't have had to be an expert to teach me something about wrestling. You would have just had to know more than me, which was not hard to do at that time. I'm going to have to learn more about wrestling. I have a young, strong kid that next year in seventh grade wants to wrestle, so I'm going to get a crash course in it. But I needed someone to show me. Well, I didn't really need someone to show me. People showed me what wrestling was really like. But they didn't have to be an expert. They didn't have to know it all. They were a few steps ahead of me or a lifetime ahead of me. This is what discipleship is. It's being one step ahead of the person that you are trying to teach. It's someone one step behind imitating what you are doing. All you have to do to disciple someone is be one chapter ahead in Scripture. Maybe one day ahead in your life, one life stage ahead, one experience ahead, conquer one sin that they're struggling with. I think we're waiting to be perfect before we think someone should imitate us. And we're going to be waiting forever. Paul wrote half the New Testament and he said, I haven't obtained everything I'm telling you to obtain, but imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is what it looks like to be and make disciples. We've added that third iteration of disciples who make disciples. Because as we imitate Christ, as we imitate those that have gone before us, others start to imitate us and they see, oh, I'm supposed to make disciples. So they make disciples too. It's why 2,000 some years after the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, we are sitting here today because people have imitated the disciples that have gone before them. That's what discipleship is, and it is the upward call on our life. We get to glorify God forever in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth. While we're here, we glorify him by being and making disciples. That is what we strive after. That is what we press on towards. And as the pastors at Grace Community Church, and as community group leaders, staff, 
other disciplers and counselors in our church, our job then is to encourage, equip, and coach you as you make disciples. That's why we want to do all the things that we do to glorify God by being and making disciples. And as we do that, it glorifies God because more and more people become citizens of heaven. That's what we want to be about. We are going to close by glorifying God and thanking Jesus for what he has done for us by remembering the death of Christ through communion. If you did not receive the elements as you came in, you can slip up your hand now or during the song we're about to sing and the ushers will bring it to you. The music team is going to come up and lead us in one more song. As they do, I'd like you to do two things. The first one is answer the question, am I a citizen of heaven? And if not, and you have questions about what it means to be a citizen of heaven, you can fill out the I believe card on the seat back in front of you. You can slip it in the boxes in the back and we'll get in contact with you to help you see what it means to be a citizen of heaven. If you are already a citizen of heaven, take this time to thank God, to thank Jesus for all he has done for you. As we worship here, just slip up your hand and we'll make sure you get the elements and then we'll take them together at the end.